Suncast is brought to you by SunGrow, providing clean power for all. Suncast is also brought to you by Trina Solar. Hey there, Solar Warriors. I'm Nico Johnson, and this is Suncast. Each week, I pull back the veil on the life and business insights of clean tech entrepreneurs building the most noble and impactful companies of our time. I hope what you learn from this conversation is a catalyst for your own growth. So thanks for tuning in and welcome to our tribe. Hey, welcome to a new week, Solar Warrior. Here we go. This is Two for Tuesday. Whether that's a tactical Tuesday or just content from one of our many live events like SPI Podcast Lounge, this is going to be a short form conversation typically with subject matter experts designed to give you the practical tools, tips, and advice for building your solar business or career and grow with us here on Suncast as I know you will. I'm so glad that you've decided to join us again and level up your game. Remember, you can always find the resources and learn more about today's guests and recommendations in the blog at mysuncast.com. So get ready to tune up your skills, Solar Warrior. Here we go with another powerful conversation on Suncast. Mr. Adam Browning, how you doing, sir? Yeah, doing well. Uh, talk to you all from uh, my living room here in Oakland. Uh, my young daughter may make a command appearance in a sec. She generally does. So uh, <laughs> uh, please excuse or enjoy that. Um, yeah. Yeah. Happy to answer. Uh, you kind of packed a couple questions in there. Let me know. Uh, um, yeah. Yeah. No worries. I wanted to, so. I wanted to, yeah, no worries. I wanted to bring you in Adam because you are one of the foremost experts in uh, the United States, certainly on sort of where policy is going and what the different organizations, including Foot Solar, uh, have been helping to usher in, in with regard to our industry supporting the initiatives that are going to give us scale. Uh, in particular, we're talking about the solar industry, but broadly speaking, you know, clean energy needs advocacy. Clean energy requires a coalition of forces the way that the fossil fuel industry has enjoyed for a century. So, uh, I want to just bring your voice in and see if you had any uh, anything to add, and also if you might have any questions for Birchie. Birch, my question uh, around, in particular, the um, sort of SIA and other uh, organizations like SIA, SIPA, uh, CALSA, the regional organizations, how do we harness the new political power that we find, given that we're the number one jobs growth uh, market, we are rapidly uh, becoming the uh, the number one where we are now the new number one new generation source for power um, you know there the projections that you gave early on suggest that that is going to that we're going to have the dominant market share by 2040 2050 and uh, you know I'd be curious there's some bifurcation around how our industry organizations support that and how we can sort of fill in the gaps there as contributors in the industry as well. Did you want to make another, any, any sort of uh, additional point there? Yeah, happy. And then great. I want to hear Adam's point of view because he's the expert. I'm a, you know, I'm a humble solar installer and all this, but I, I do have a, I'll, I'll throw out an idea, Adam, and tell me what your reaction is. It feels like for too long at the macro level, we've had the fossil fuel industry fighting for massive subsidies and getting them and fighting against the carbon price. And we haven't had, despite our size as an industry, consolidated response representing the millions of jobs that clean energy writ large has. 
So that kind of feels like a thing that needs solved at the Washington level. And then the second structural issue that I think needs resolved is in distributed solar, we, along with battery and energy efficiency, want to reduce the amount of energy that is drawn from through that meter. If you're a utility solar business, you want to see as many people sucking energy off that meter as you can for the next 20 years because you put in a 20, 25-year PPA when your own capital is at risk. So they're two different things, and I think we've always struggled with that. And so it seems to me like, given that DG Solar is now 200,000 plus a strong industry, you kind of need to finally grow up and say, we need a DG representation. Either it's carved out of SIA and a ring fence budget, but ideally it should have both solar, CALSA and the state chapters, the SIA DG piece, the National Solar Association, that all the, the 13 other organizations kind of working as one in one entity, like the, like the NRA. And, you know, we're 25% bigger than the NRA in terms of jobs. You know, and that's just DG. And we're four times bigger than coal. Like, we're a real force. And it feels like, you know, Adam, you should have 100 people working for you and, a, you know, a 20 million budget, and we should go and make this happen. And we, we're sort of, we've been scrapping around far too long. That's, that's my, my own view. What do you reckon, Adam? Uh, oh, uh, I will not disagree that uh, uh, to really get this done, we need to make much better use of our collective power that we have. And I, I think actually we're in a moment right now where we uh, there are some lessons to be learned about uh, what it needs, what we need to do in order to really scale our political influence to solve our policy problems. I think what we struggle with often is that the the road bumps and the gateways and the policy issues that we are trying to deal with are both granular and very diffuse and very specific to different industry models. Um, the advantage that we have uh, as a policy change catalyst isn't in money, it is in numbers. It is the ability to uh, weigh in uh, um, with the collective will and try to turn that into actual political power. So. Uh, while policymaking is often really going down into these nitty-gritty little details of codes and standards and AHAs, and it's just really granular, backbreaking, terrifically unsexy work that then benefits, you know, only uh, portions of the solar industry. And I'm very familiar with the problem of this. I mean, ever since I've gotten involved in solar, uh, you know, back in uh, 2001, like there has been this tendency to have a circular firing squad where different elements of the industry spend their time fighting with each other rather than with a uh, uh, for the common good against the common common enemy, which is where I would much prefer. So I think, you know, when we think about um, the path forward, you see super majorities of Americans want to see this transition to renewable energy. Harnessing their voice and turning that into actual political power uh, doesn't mean that we just bear down on like only DG or only community solar or only uh, utility scale. There are power and interest and uh, in, in all of those things. So when you look at like the you know, this situation right now where we are uh, in the midst of a pandemic and a, uh, um, you know, a, a global uh, economic uh, cavitation, you know, I think solar's response to this moment right now, uh, our clean energy response is first, how do we 
take care of those that are uh, hurting the most, uh, people that have lost their jobs, that are electricity consumers, that are at risk of getting their electricity turned off, uh, solar workers that are at risk of losing our jobs. And that should be our first fundamental frame. Our second frame, uh, our next phase of that work is comes through how do we catalyze a, uh, a green recovery? How do we learn, lean into uh, solving this particular problem while preventing the next and really building an economy that's based on renewable energy rather than fossils. And I think in order to do that, uh, it is, you know, 10x focus on distributed generation. There's also huge interest in seeing these 100% clean energy statewide standards. I mean, right now, after Virginia passed earlier this year, over a quarter of the people living in America, in this country, live in a state where fossil-based electricity is illegal, will be legally phased out by X state. I mean, it is a phenomenal uh, change uh, in, uh, to my mind, it is really the most uh, important uh, real victory we've had in the climate fight probably ever in this country and something that we should continue to really lean into. So, you know, this isn't a DG versus uh, utility scale. There's something, there are important aspects in here for both. We need to figure out how do we, again, turn that real interest and solve problems for more people, broaden this net much further uh, rather than, than going narrow uh, and segment by industry. So, you know, I, I, don't, I think it both sinks and diverges from uh, your vision, Bertie, uh, um, a, a little of both. But I, I generally just believe that the more problems that we're able to solve, the more friends we will have. There's been a big change at our organization as to the things that we do. We're vote solar, but we're really trying to solve for a customer-centric vision for providing like the necessary grid flexibility. So it goes beyond just solar. It goes to storage. It goes to key demand response uh, programs that we need in order to really solve for the flexibility that will allow us to take those gas plants off immediately and not build new ones. Um, and again, really thinking about like how do we really solve for the pro problems uh, that we're seeing so poignantly exposed with this economic crisis coupled with the pandemic uh, around inequality in this country as well. Uh, and I think renewables, clean energy community uh, can pilot a pathway forward. And so when we think about like, what should we be doing right now, we should really be ensuring that people aren't getting their power shut off if they can't pay their bills. And as those arrearages mount, that we pilot a way forward for low-income people in this country to be able to uh, really reduce their energy burden through solar demand response, uh, really customer-centric pathways forward to really reducing their their energy burden. So it was rather probably a more discursive answer than you were looking for, but really trying to make this case that like uh, this moment really, I think, illustrates our way forward. Uh, we need to be able to solve as many people problems as possible in order to build that political power that is going to be necessary to overcome the moneyed interests that have been fighting so hard to push us to keep us back. You know, every commercial solar opportunity counts. So why lose that sale to high demand charges? Did you know that you can offer up to 30% in demand charge savings at a tenth of the cost of installing a battery? With DemandX, the innovative new demand charge reduction software from Extensible Energy, your client can boost ROI and reduce payback time without all the expense. 
And as a Suncast listener, you can get a free demand charge analysis by going to extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. And while you're there, check out three recent case studies on how this easy to install software is a win-win for you and your commercial solar clients. DemandX works for office buildings, retail, churches, and more. See for yourself at extensibleenergy.com forward slash Suncast. Did you miss out on the live sessions of the Suncast Clean Energy Summit? We had so much fun with some of the most inspiring and impactful leaders in the clean economy throughout the Americas, learning about where the industry's going and giving you practical advice on how you too can participate and grow with us. Well, you're in luck because my team recorded the whole thing and you can check it out over at suncastsummit.com. It's posted there for a limited time for free. You can also see all of the replays inside of our private Facebook group, the Clean Energy Guild, where all the videos are posted and lots of solar warriors just like you are connecting. Both are linked over at suncastsummit.com. See you on the inside. I mentioned in our episode that the organization that you helped found has served a critical role in the rollout of successful state solar policies nationwide. And, uh, and indeed, I think that the work that you guys have done has been influential and instrumental in the way that other jurisdictions around the world have considered how to uh, sort of garner that grassroots feel and uh, and the support and tools that you guys have put in place have helped many, many states uh, with the kinds of progress that you express, uh, you know, for the state of Virginia. I think it would be wonderful if, uh, for those who are perhaps a little little less familiar, if you could bring us through uh, maybe your synopsis of what we might call the state of the union of policy and clean energy advocacy over the last you know, 10 years, really, where we've seen solar begin to take root and grow. I'd love to hear your thoughts as well, where you believe uh, solar policy is getting stuck and where we can lean in to achieve what we all believe is possible, which is that solar becomes the dominant uh, energy generation capacity and clean energy in uh, the United States and the world is uh, is the only consideration, uh, as you mentioned before. More than nearly a quarter of states now uh, make alternative, what I'm going to call alternative generation fossil fuels illegal. So, uh, Adam, with that, I'd love to give uh, the stage to you to give us a quick uh, rundown of the state of policy and uh, your views on where it's going. Policy is constantly evolving. In the early days of Vote Solar, it was like, how do we make solar cheap? And, you know, our first work was around, you know, incentives and uh, as well as access. Uh, You know, the real first phase of that has largely been achieved, like through uh, policy-driven economies of scale. The industry has come around and has developed uh, these enormous cost reductions that has made solar and other clean energy technologies you know, usually the uh, the cheapest option available. I used to think that, you know, once we got to that point, I'd work myself out of a job. Unfortunately, or maybe fortunately in this point in time, that's, uh, that's not the case. Um, just because you are the cheapest doesn't mean you get to, we don't have an economic-driven dispatch uh, purely in this country. Um, there are uh, a, a lot of ways that that can be held back. And so our policy efforts have evolved uh, commensurately in order to you know, meet the needs of the of the moment. So we now do, we have a rooftop solar program where it's really about uh, rates and uh, net metering and net metering you know, successor tariffs. 
we have a community solar program where we're focused on how do you ensure that everybody that wants to participate in the clean energy economy can have utility scale that's really about how do you uh, grow, uh, uh, do state level policy making to ensure that uh, solar and clean energy uh, is the dominant uh, uh, utility scale, what's coming in over your wires. Big area of our work now is, is around uh, grid integration of renewables. What, how do we achieve the necessary flexibility to run a grid on majority uh, uh, renewables, which are intermittent? The last program that we're uh, spending an enormous amount of time focusing on is access and equity. How do we ensure, again, that uh, solar, that community, all communities are represented at the decision-making table uh, and that we uh, really don't speak for other communities, but we listen to uh, the frontline communities that are most impacted by the energy decisions in this country. And that is changing a lot in the way that we uh, go about our work and do our work. So the evolution right now uh, has grown from very singular, very specific incentive level issues to uh, um, much larger questions about both running the grid as well as how do we uh, really make this a inclusive and comprehensive movement uh, on the political power side of things? So our operating methodology has always been like you need to make your case with numbers, with facts, uh, get inside the uh, integrated resource plans, the regulatory dockets, um, and do deep level, strong analysis. But you never win just because you're right, right? You also need to couch that with the uh, commensurate political power, understand who's making the decisions, what they need to hear, who they need to hear it from, and uh, um, again, uh, construct the right coalitions and, and build the right amount of political power in order to get the outcomes that you want to see. So the evolution, I think, of policy going forward is right now checked by this very moment. Uh, so. Um, you know, I think last year was our biggest year ever, uh, where we saw, given the IRP work and, and other RPSs that were passed, all the net metering stuff that we did, you know, we had had victories around net metering and uh, rate structures that impacted uh, 10% of the rooftop solar customers in this country. The new RPSs and integrated resource plans that we did at the state level um, will drive another 50 gigawatts worth of solar. This was all based in uh, the 2019 work. And I alluded earlier with Virginia passing their 100% clean energy law earlier this year. You know, we are looking at a, uh, a huge phenomenon in this country where, you know, really moving to 100% clean energy situation we're in right now checks all that right now. Um, and there's definitely going to be, uh, we've moved to pandemic footing where we're really rethinking about how do we go about our work. So the first and foremost, I think everyone should be thinking about how do we care for those that need it the most. And those are people that are lost their jobs, can't pay their bills, are in danger of potentially uh, getting caught off and losing their electricity. We need to have a moratoria on shutoffs. You know, also the flip side of that, we think that like if we can achieve those things, um, we're going to see like a society wide look at like, well, how do we uh, uh, pay for those arrearages on utility bills? And can we as a community, as a clean energy community, help pilot a way forward where as those uh, tremendous economic costs are going to be dealt with, we really focus on lowering electricity bills for low-income communities in this country. 
I think that is the lens that we need to be working through right now, as well as the solar workers who are in danger of losing their jobs. And so the first venue where this all goes down is through the stimulus efforts, the federal work that is being that is happening right now. We're not an organization that uh, works on federal policy. Most relevant policy, I believe, happens in the states. So SIA has been doing the uh, has been piloting all the work, uh, doing all the work on Capitol Hill to try to like immediately staunch the bleeding and provide for. Uh, solar workers to try to keep jobs uh, continuing and keep the industry afloat through extending deadlines, extending the ITC. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, the other flip side of this is like, how do you keep uh, companies still operating during this time? Uh, so most states, they're considered essential workers. Um, there are, I think it's New York and Pennsylvania are exceptions. And then how do you uh, you know, are you able to like shift your work processes to a pandemic situation? So the arc of what we're seeing right now, like really is fundamentally interrupted by the pandemic. Uh, right now, big focus on uh, federal issues. I think over the next three, six, eight, twelve 12 months um, will really be our time to shine where we look at state level policy as uh, um state legislatures come back into session and there will be a national discussion on like how do you recover from this economic cavitation I think that it is entirely appropriate to say that we should uh, recover from uh, we should deal with this crisis in ways that prevent the next climate change and uh, build a green recovery it's hard to have that conversation at the federal level given the uh, president is antipathy to uh, um, clean energy. Um, so I think you know the, the where we will be having this conversation is in the states, and so their state legislatures will be doing important work. Now keep in you know keep in mind while most state legislatures right now are in recession and, and recess, the PUC work, the public utility commissions, like those are largely still going on. So public utilities commissions are making decisions right now around net metering, rate structures, integrated resource plans, uh, whether to build gas or build clean energy. Uh, how do we? Uh, develop the uh, demand flexibility necessary to uh, for reliability going forward. And so that critical work uh, is happening right now, continues. When I look out over our team, we've got a campaigns team, we've got a regulatory team, everybody, nobody's bored right now. Everybody is dug in, digging hard, working hard, and uh, trying to uh, still make all our clean energy outcomes continue to happen. Do you have a sense of, or can you share with us, the overall job creation opportunity that has been, we've been engaged in for the last three, four, five years? I mean, you know, we are uh, looking at, uh, we've got over 250,000 solar workers in the country today. Prior to the pandemic, SIA's figures was that we were looking at another 50,000 more workers this year, as well as uh, investing another 25 billion into the US economy on our, you know, the track that we were on before all of this hit. So uh, Woods McKenzie or Green Tech Media, you know, they are their analysis shows a potential uh, range between 18 percent and uh, 30, 40 percent contraction. Um, but nobody really knows, right? The, uh, the music hasn't stopped yet uh, in terms of like what is happening. So there's no ability to assess the damage. Like it's not like a hurricane came through and now the sun's shining and birds are 
chirping and trying to figure out what to do going forward. That's still happening. The hurricane's still happening. So it is it is really hard to say like what the uh, the true carnage to the solar workforce is going to be right now, which is why uh, you know we really need to be highlighting that uh, to federal representatives right now. Uh, see is out there being the pointy end of the spear to collect the stories of what is. What is happening right now in order to articulate that to uh, federal representatives so that they can you know help provide support, monetary support going forward. I don't this is going to be a marathon, not a sprint, right? So yesterday or the day before, you had the stimulus package three point five. you know this could be four, five, six, seven, eight, who knows how many more may or may not happen and what will be uh, included in them. Um, but I think it's going to be a, a a long road, a lot of discussions, and a lot of opportunities, unfortunately, to uh, um, to keep working on this. I'd like to take some time and really, uh, maybe because it's the most recent, uh, Carla Loeb from Segura and I were recently talking about the work that they've engaged in in, in uh, Virginia. I know you're very familiar right. with that. Yeah. Um, I love Our- the way that you put it, actually, by saying... 25% of us live in a state where fossil fuels are illegal. I think, I think that might be the first time I've heard anyone say that. Mm. It might be the first time that many of us have heard anyone say that. And it's a great way to, to frame uh, what's happening at a policy level uh, across our country and indeed across the world. I would, I would love to hear what were some of the challenges, uh, especially given that Virginia now we're thinking about getting down into the south where uh, fossil fuels have a real stronghold. Um, from I'm from North Carolina, uh, you know, grew up in South Carolina. Uh, surely, states like North, uh, like South Carolina, Georgia, Florida, someday we all hope uh, are battlegrounds. And I'm I'm curious what we can learn from Virginia as a success case, and what could still be standing in the way. So, uh, you know, I think there's a danger to putting the uh, the bar at 100% clean energy is the only thing that matters. And so let's say I think it's where we should be going or we should be focused for. But like you want to start at 25, 30, 40, 50. Like I generally take a, a money ball approach uh, to uh, policy, which is like you move the ball forward and live to uh, uh, come back stronger, bigger, better, and fight another day. If you're only swinging for home runs, you're going to strike out all the time. I am not familiar with the state that has passed a 100% clean energy solution that didn't have a triple D government. Um, so Democrats and both sides of the uh, the legislature and a Democratic governor. It is important to note that there is real good and important progress that can and is being made in red states. So I think you can get really good renewable energy wins. Um, you're not going to get comprehensive climate solutions in red states. So one of the things that we worked the hardest on and proudest of last year uh, was really in South Carolina, which uh, has had incredible support from a Republican-dominated legislature that you know looked at the collapse of the nuke industry there, where you know you've got South Carolina ratepayers that are going to be paying twenty bucks plus a month every day or every month for the rest of their lives for electric for a nuke plant that will never be built, that will never produce a single electron, and. You know, the failure of the market forces there uh, really uh, put uh, the strengths of clean energy, the strengths of solar in the in the driver's seat and this need for energy choice and this need for, uh, you know, community, for real 
homegrown electricity uh, was a powerful political force that uh, you know conservative legislators capitalized on, and with a lot of work from a lot of folks over several years, passed some uh, really helpful legislation for both rooftop solar as well as changing the way that the you know utility procurement works for solar as well. So. So let's not make the bar only uh, 100% clean energy, even though like that is my mission. That is where we would like this all to end up. Uh, so I think you know this is fundamentally around uh, energy democracy, and really, again, super majorities of the people in this country want to see this transition happen. You poll everywhere, both sides of the aisle. That's how it happens. How you translate that into actual policy wins is the uh, order of the day. That is what the our organization has been founded on and has tried to deliver. And uh, in collaboration and partnership with so many, you know, Carla is a hero, so did such awesome work in Virginia. We have her and her colleagues and people like that to thank for all of this. We're just trying to help support and supplement their ranks going forward. Um, but, you know, North Carolina is going to be a huge battleground state going forward. And so, you know, Duke has made some voluntary uh, commitments to carbon neutrality. At the same time, you read their actual integrated resource plans. They're planning on building 15 gigawatts of new gas plants, which is uh, so what they're telling the press and what they're filing with the regulators is absolutely, you know, is incompatible. Um, and that will be a battle royale going forward. Thankfully, um, there are, you know there is a commission there that is generationally good, uh, and we've got a lot of resources making the case with numbers and building the um, political context for seeing a fundamental change in how they procure electricity going forward. And uh, you know, your home state, I, uh, it's going to be really interesting going forward, and uh, I think it's going to be a huge opportunity for clean energy too. Uh, as we wrap here, any parting thoughts that you have about? specifically the impact and the obligation that we have as a society, as a community of clean energy professionals to be the, the, the standard bearers, to be the flag bearers, as it were. Uh, if you have any parting thoughts, maybe we'll start with Birchie and then uh, finish up with Adam. Sure. Yeah. Just listening to Adam speak, it just reminds me that really, you know, we have the physics and with the economics behind us that will ultimately make us win in the end. And it's really a question of how fast we can win. And all these barriers, as you said, Adam, it's not just the dollars and cents, there's all these barriers in the way. And hearing folks like you, you know, you got Adam, the, the, the heart of a lion and the, the brain of a great chess player, a tactician, which I really admire. I am more of a, I'm more down at the tactical level with our users at Open Soul and thinking like, how do you make this more efficient? Because if you can get it down to $1.30 a watt in the States, your life becomes a whole lot easier. You're like, net, you can't, you just remove the risk of net metering and ITC and all this other stuff. There's lessons from, from Australia, Republican, very right-leaning uh, prime minister, you know, loves coal, took a chunk of coal into the Senate, said, this is, this is Australia right here. Like, even he can't stop it in Australia because it's just so cheap. So if we can get automated permitting, if we can get all these deficiencies into the industry, I think we can, we can combine with the defense from great policy mechanisms like you described, Adam, and consolidating our power at the high level so that we can fight the fossil fuel interests that could still block us and slow us down, then, you know, we can win. Yeah, I totally agree. 
you know, like I said, I thought like when solar got cheap, I, we'd have worked ourselves out of a job. And that I think part of it is everything gets easier with a cheaper resource. The um, but you also get new enemies, right? And so the more pre- prevalent it is, this ends up fundamentally challenging, you know, the utility business model, like so much of utilities are paid based upon the amount of capital they deploy. And when you're really moving to the distributed, more efficient, uh, uh, fundamental way of generating electricity, like we also need a completely new utility business model as a way of landing this ship of this plane, you know, the, the end game around this. So not to get too meta on this, I absolutely agree. As we get cheaper, we also are going to encounter new resistance that we will also then have to overcome. And this is a moment for everybody to band together uh, and think about expanding the problems that we can solve for uh, in this country, in the society, and that will bring more friends to the table uh, that is going to be necessary to overcome these, uh, these other challenges. So that's our meta theory, our way of approaching this. Um, I am... Uh, honored to be by your side, Birchie, and looking forward to helping to proliferate Open App as we uh, as it comes into existence and leaning in to bring that solar army to bear to actually get this thing used through all the AHJs through either direct uh, conversations at a city permitting level or statewide uh, policy uh, requirements. So um, it's where. You know, we all need to go. And uh, thank you for being such a visionary for catalyzing what can be achieved and, uh, and helping to uh, make that happen so that uh, us campaigners can go out there and actually have something that use this. Here's the solution. Make this happen. Uh, so uh, thank you for your for your great work. As we depart here, is there a website that folks can go to? I don't want to take the risk of saying it myself, so I'll give you an opportunity. How can folks find out more about uh, Vote Solar? And then how can folks find out more about Open Solar? Well, Vote Solar, uh, we actually got our name from our website, uh, which uh, came about back in 2001 when we were just trying to do a city-led initiative, Prop B. Uh, So votesolar.org. Very soon we'll have a brand new, very flashy, different one. Um, But uh, this one we have works great right now. You can find out a lot of information there, votesolar.org. And then two, two URLs, if I may, uh, opensolar.com is end-to-end digital software to completely do remote sales, but also all the other stuff you need to as a solar installer, amazing technology, completely free and white label for all this of solar installers out there in the world. And the second URL is, I've got it in front of me now, finally, https colon forward slash forward slash solarapp.nrl.gov. Sorry, solarapp.nrl.gov. For the and up there and join the coalition and submit your email address in the keynote. All right, that's a wrap on today's conversation, Solar Warriors. But I do hope that you'll check out the other Two for Tuesday episodes and let me know what you think of these shorter format discussions. You want more like this? You can find more than 200 episodes, resources, highlights from the discussions, along with social media links to each guest episode, book recommendations, and so much more over on the blog at mysuncast.com. And that's also where you'll find other ways to engage with the Suncast tribe, like subscribing to our weekly emails or even joining the exclusive inner circle we affectionately refer to as the Guild. If you're on Spotify or iTunes, I so appreciate your rating and review so that others can also find Suncast more easily. 
A special thank you to our sponsors who help make this podcast possible. You can learn more about them at mysuncast.com forward slash sponsor. Follow the links there for any offers we've discussed here today. Remember, you are what you listen to. Thanks again for showing up, Solar Warrior. It's half the battle. <laughs>